Wow. Most Wow. Hello everyone, and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, Jurassic World 2, A Fallen Kingdom. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. I'm Joel. And I'm Austin. And, just like Jurassic World 2, we always find a way. <laughs> nice, nice. No, it wasn't, it wasn't. <laughs> Dave, can you do better? Uh, like Jurassic World 2, Jeff Goldblum wants the world to leave us alone so we die. <laughs> <laughs> So if you've never heard this show before, basically we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. There'll also be a whole host of other hilarious shenanigans, including some terrible impressions, some Biffy xylophone playing, a quiz, a caption contest, and a whole host of banter. So please stay tuned. Just to say that this is a one-off bonus episode and to warn everybody that there'd be spoilers ahead. And this episode is particularly a spoilerific one. So if you haven't seen Jurassic World 2, A Fallen Kingdom yet, either skip the episode, come back to it later on, or you can fast forward into our quiz later on in the episode. Also, just to warn people that we do say a few swears for example and flaps and they're going to be peppered throughout this episode so if you do have sensitive hearing tough luck our last bonus episode was solo dave you were the judge for that so do you think that you made the right call in placing solo on the shit list yeah i'm gonna stick with with my judgment i think it's just they got the character of Han Solo wrong, which so soon after The Last Jedi, where I think a lot of people felt they got Luke Skywalker wrong, it's just, it's a bit of a, a, a raw wound for them to pour salt into, I think. Getting these classic characters wrong so repeatedly, it's just kind of tarnishing the whole Star Wars franchise now. They need to be more careful going forward. Well, good decision then. If it makes you feel any better, we did put it up for a vote on Twitter, and 64% of our friends and followers agreed that it should be placed on the shit list. So, well done there, Dave. Well, that'll win. So, before we get on to the bulk of the show, I think let's go around and have a bit of a chat about the news. Well, well done. Nice. Ah, you like that, don't yeah, you? Yeah. Made note perfect. Thanks, Very guys. Impressed. Thanks, thanks. I'm getting better. Uh, it's only taken me 20-odd years of piano playing <laughs> to achieve this. Anyway, so uh, what we do here is we go around in a circle and we talk about the biggest noteworthy news topics of the week. So I thought we could talk about the releases of several new trailers that have come out recently. The first one I wanted to speak about was the new Halloween trailers. Everybody had the chance to see it? Indeed. Okay, so this is essentially a reboot. So what they're doing here is they're forgetting the majority of the films that have gone before it. And instead, this is taking off from where Halloween 2 left off. So Halloween's 4 until Resurrection are completely wiped clean, which is probably a good thing, to be honest, because it's taken away the horrible, horrible, bitter taste of Halloween Resurrection, which was the last one in the franchise. I hope they do that with Star Wars, to be honest with you. (laughs) Just take away The Last Jedi. I mean, I would happily watch The Last Jedi every day for the next four years than ever have to watch Buster Rhymes give Michael Myers a crane kick from Karate Kid whilst making some racist kung fu noises. (laughs) 
but anyway, so it's a return to form of Jamie Lee Curtis, who has been away from the big screen recently. She's been in a few things on, on the TV, uh, Scream Queens and New Girl, but she's returning to the Halloween franchise, and it seems that she's playing a sort of embittered and grizzled veteran version of Laurie Strode. And I think they could be quite exciting. Joel, you you saw the trailer the other day. What did you think? Yeah, I quite I quite like the idea. Um, there are a few things which I thought was pretty weird. The fact that she wanted Michael Myers to get out so she could kill him, I thought was a little bit weird because he caused so much kind of terror in the, the all of it, the films basically, but the first two specifically, um, which I thought was a little bit of a weird take. And then the trailer does show you, like, he's, he's just going on a rampage type of thing, which is obviously typical Halloween. But I did like the idea, and I think... Um, um, I think people are kind of ready to, for the franchise to come back. I think there's been a long enough break. It's not like, you know, we've had Halloween every year, like we have had Marvel or something like that. So I think, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be worth watching. I think it has whetted people's appetites as well for a bit of, you know, how good wet, horror. What you say? Very, <laughs> a, very, a very wet appetite I have here. How, how moist are you right now? <laughs> I'm just going to be a bit pedantic, but wet. Yes, got thank, an H thank, in it. Thank, <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks, Ozzy. I feel if I'd said that, I wouldn't have gone down at all. Um, so uh, I was just going to say, so my main problem with that was that I think it revealed a little bit too much, like most trailers, like the trailer for the film that we're going to be putting on trial today. I think essentially it revealed too many of the scares. But one trailer that I don't think was the trailer for Hereditary, which you saw recently, didn't you, Alex? Yes, I really enjoyed this trailer. In fact, that trailer gave away almost nothing and really whetted my appetite to go and see the film as well. <laughs> Massively piqued my interest. Uh, what I liked about it was mainly just because I still don't quite know what the film is. You get a, you get a couple of ideas of the premise and what's, what's built up, but you don't know actually know what's scary about it as well. So I'm extremely excited. Uh, also, some of the quotes that are in the trailer are just saying like you actually won't believe how scary this was so maybe it's overhyped but i'm massively up for it you how about you how are you feeling yeah about yeah I, I think it's the right balance of just like not giving too much away letting you piece it together yourself less is more with this sort of thing it's the old spielberg with you not seeing the shark for the first half of the film less is more it yeah. allows you to build up terror in your own mind the thing is we'll probably go watch the film and possibly be disappointed because mm. they'll spell it out too much but if they leave that kind of like Gray area where you're not quite sure what you're watching. You make your own conclusions, and that's more frightening. I and I think the the trailer's great. They've done the right thing with that, and it just teases the cast. Like Gabriel Byrne, sold. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the music in the trailer as well. I felt I love it when they build music up and up and up until it's like really tense at the end. So yeah, yeah. I think they've done a good job. I just hope that they don't reveal a bit more. I hope they don't release two or three more trailers before it comes out. Then again, I think it's out now at the moment or next week, isn't it? I, I think they've had other trailers that might have done it, but I'm just not watching them. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so one trailer that definitely does that is the trailer for the upcoming Predator reboot, which is called The Predator. And that came out last week, I think. And uh, Austin, have you had the chance to watch it? Yeah, it was on in the uh, pictures, wasn't it? I think yeah. we saw it before Solo, actually. Yeah. What did you think of it? Well, I'm not sure. I, know, I never saw Predator, the uh, the first one, so it seemed pretty good. But I didn't. Quite I don't know why I bother asking. It to be honest, but but <laughs> it is a Predator. So, yeah, so I thought it actually, as somebody who's not seen Predator, I'm aware of Predator, but you know, I thought it seemed quite exciting. But I didn't quite get it from the trailer. You know, is that kid psycho, psychic, or something? He's got this. Oh, I don't know. I wasn't entirely sure why that kid's got you, anything to do with the rest of the film. You or mean? What. Did, did you think he was actually controlling the ship? ship yeah, yeah, no, I thought like that. He turned yeah. It on oh, and, yeah. Blew it through the thing. So I don't get it, but I understand that we've had predators before. We understand how to kill them. 
Yeah. If so what's the big deal? Well, I think it, it, it's only twice. Oh, no, actually, no, if, if you include Predator versus Alien, but I don't know whether they do. do. You? No, I don't. No, <laughs> nobody should ever include that. Did you just been... flip the title around just to make it fresh again? <laughs> I tried to, I tried to. Um, I'd say I spent so long trying to block it from my, my mind that I couldn't remember what it was actually called. How many, how many times have you watched that? I've, I've seen the second one for some reason about five times. And that reason is, is that I force other people to watch it because they just can't believe how bad it is. And anyway, so, so we're getting off topic here. Um, so Jacob Tremblay's casting raised some eyebrows initially because... He's a he's a young child actor, and they were like, "How's he going to fit into this film?" Watching that trailer, I was like, "What the fuck is going on here?" As you were saying before, he's like he's a, a part of a predator ship or some predator tech gets sent to him in a box. He opens it. He's using one bit that turns on a, a, a spaceship, and the Which predator seems come, to fly just, in. Honestly, I mean, I, I was looking at it, and it looked a bit Home Alone-y to me. I'll say it; it looks shit. Uh, like I thought, the trailer was just absolute garbage. Yeah, it it did it did look bad. I mean, I would, but it, it kind of got split into two parts. There was the Home Alone section with the kid at the beginning, yeah. and then there was the bit with the mercenaries or marines or whatever coming in later on. Because there was another bit as well with him, wasn't it, where that um, the female soldiers like protecting him, yeah, as well, which seems a little bit Jurassic Parky. I I was I was rather <laughs> I would rather it just literally be a scene for scene remake of Home Alone. With Jacob Chamberlain, <laughs> and instead of Joe Pesci, the predator. And there's the scene where Jacob, where like Macaulay Culkin or Kevin McAllister is setting up loads of traps in his house, but he's he's doing it while he's camoed up to Alan Silvestri's <laughs> predator. Like, like, yeah. Come and get me, you great horses ass! <laughs> and then the predator just blows him up with a laser. There you go. Well, you hit it here first. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, talking about eyebrow raising moments, Ozzy, can you smell? That. <laughs> nice. I'm smashing it this week, aren't I? Yeah. Yes, you're all over there. You've been practicing, I see. <laughs> yeah, both my fingers like bloody stumps. <laughs> so I do have some good uh, rock news this this week. Two bits of rock news. So first bit is the rock's being uh, the model, the model husband, the model man. He's been uh, feeding his wife while she's been breastfeeding the children. And, uh, and, well, and obviously Instagramming he's, it. He's <laughs> not so been letting knows. her starve. No, so he's been, <laughs> what, he's been what, what a guy! His, his fed. What an absolute hero. So, uh, he's honestly. been getting a lot of uh, a lot of praise from They're just feeding <laughs> just his wife. Just feeding his wife, which which I think is lovely. You know, it's good as a man to be. Uh, you can do no wrong I, in any way. For, for just doing normal day to day. Yeah, I can, I can imagine so, I his, his wife being like, yeah. "Oh, can can do me a favour? Can you just uh, pass me an apple there? Because uh, I'm pretty hungry." Uh, hang on, honey. Let my let me get my phone so I can tweet this. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty much that was uh, that was a good one. But then, as I was uh, just getting ready for this, uh, Gal Gadot has actually just closed the deal and she's going to star alongside Dwayne Johnson in uh, Red Notice. Ooh. So there you go. So we spoke Gal about Gadot that a few weeks ago. A... Yeah, we spoke about it a few weeks ago, didn't we? It was yeah, sort yeah. of a rumour. So that should be good. I mean, two of the yeah. biggest action stars essentially. Although you know nothing else about the film because The Rock's in it. Like, it it's going to be good. Well, I mean, all of the press If The Rock was riding good. a T-Rex in Jurassic World, you'd be like, this is the best film ever. <laughs> well, that would definitely make it better. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, so basically, uh, she's going to be in there. Apparently, she's going to be some sort of mysterious uh, art world figure. Well, Sorry, I cannot wait. She sounds to have a no, very no. well-rounded the, well, the character rock, already. The rock's in it, so you know it's going to be great. Anyway, just moving on. <laughs> Alex, <laughs> talking about great things, I think it's time for your segment. <laughs> oh, oh, 
always a pleasure. Uh, all right. This week, since we were talking about trailers for horror films, I wanted to know what's the scariest film you've ever seen. I kind of don't want to ask Gav because he watches horror films and feels nothing. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, thinking about it, oddly enough, it's the scary, probably the film that's given me the most scares ever. Do you remember that 90s film Urban Legend? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one that's probably stuck with me the most. But when I'm thinking about the scariest film ever, like if I watched it now, I'd still be scared. <laughs> still laughing at that. <laughs> it would be uh, the Ring, the Japanese original. We'll see. Yeah, what no, was so scary the Japanese about Urban Legends? <laughs> I was just terrified as a child, all right. He's got, he's got a lifetime phobia of Rebecca Gayhart now. Yeah, a, little, a, a little, a little. I wonder how many times anyone's mentioned Urban Legend on a film podcast. I think I'd forgotten that film existed. To I think honest. that's the first time the phrase Urban Legend is scary. <laughs> uh, I, I, as you said, I mean, I, I don't uh, really get scared by films, but I can tell you films that I've watched that have made me feel really uncomfortable. Uh, one of them being the original Martyrs film, the French horror film. I was film. thinking of Martyrs, actually, yeah. I mean, it's, so it's, it's sort of like a horror film. It's more of a thriller, and it was just uncomfortable watching. I, I mean, I watched it all the way through, but I wish I wouldn't have. I wish I would have turned it off halfway through, to be honest, because it just gets more brutal and more shocking and very visceral. And like gory. Uh, yeah, gory, but it's also like kind Sadistic of... as yeah, well, yeah. really. So uh, like, I really hate I'll shit I'll take like a hard that. pass on that one, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't mind being scared, but just pointless gore for yeah. me, just, I, I will pass Sadism that every single That's the thing, though. it's not pointless with Martyrs. There is a plot to it, there is a reason. It's not like Hostel or that kind of, like, pointless sadism. There is kind of a, a purpose to it, but it's just, it's just, like Gav says, a really uncomfortable watch. Very, very, not very scary, cool. but it is just... That, 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 that film that you really love, where is it called Bone Tomahawk? Where he just oh, goes, where, he just like I, I don't I even want to describe the scene into that film. Yeah. That film should just be blotched from my memory. To hey, be man. honest, uh, what what is there not like? It's a, what is there not to like about that film? Essentially, just because it's got Kurt Russell. In exactly. It. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, another one is called Sleep Tight. Alex, you'll like it because it's Spanish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> but it's very very uncomfortable viewing it's about uh, it's some guy who works in a hotel and he's he's doing naughty things while he works there masturbating in his desk <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad you singled me out for like an <laughs> for, for, for me like when I was younger was a teenager I think I've told you before but it was the grudge especially yeah. because like uh, I just used to hide under the covers as a kid and that film just destroyed like any way of doing that because obviously like doesn't he ha- or she hides under the covers and uh, the girl is that, there. That bit particularly stands out and to that, me. And that yeah. noise as well that she makes. Uh, yeah. That was just a fucking yeah. terrifying film. I think I, um, the, I've not seen many horror films but um, I, I remember watching Friday 13th when I was about 12 or 13 when I went around to someone's house. And, uh, you wish it hadn't. Yeah, that was massively scared. I had to pretend I wasn't. Yeah. I was massively scared. <laughs> Is that why you didn't watch any films like for the following six years? <laughs> I'm always worried about... Actually, then the next scariest film I went to watch was uh, I Am Legend. And I actually thought that was pretty scary as well. <laughs> Don't watch Urban Legend then. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very you. much for that, Alex. So, you, you're welcome. <laughs> as I said before... Um, if you've never heard this show before, basically we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. But uh, the films are normally pulled out of the hat at random, but because this is a bonus episode, we've all gone to go and see it apart from our judge. 
The roles, however, have been picked out random. And this week, in the role of prosecutor and trying to condemn the film to the shit list is going to be Joel. In the role of defence and trying to get this film placed on the hit list is going to be Alex. And in the role of character witnesses, and they're basically going to lend their genuine opinion to throw a bit of weight behind the film uh, and the argument, sorry, is going to be Captain Dave and myself, which means the most important role of the week is that of the judge and that's going to be played by Austin he is going to listen to both arguments and decide which list the film should be placed on based solely on the arguments and he can't use his own opinion because he hasn't even watched it never seen it so actually you do want to go and see it at some point this week don't you Austin yeah so I guess I'll be judging it on whether I still want to go and see it after here lovely stuff Uh, so I think we better give our listeners a bit of an idea as to what this film is about and spin the wheel of impressions Okay, so this is the first time, actually, I think. Austin, it's landed on you. Okay. Right, so which impression or accent should Austin deliver the synopsis in this week? Um, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum. Yes. When, we're not going to get many opportunities. No, no. What is that? What the hell is that? That might be a baby for Austin. Right? I thought that was Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Okay, so spot on as usual. <laughs> <laughs> so, Austin, could you please read out the synopsis in the style of Jeff Goldblum? When, when, when the the island's dormant volcano begins uh, ro- roaring to life, Owen and Claire mount a campaign to rescue the remaining dinosaurs from this uh, this extinction level event. Love it. No, he's very good. Got the pauses. He's got, got, got the slight stutter. Very distinctive speech pattern. As Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> So thank you very much for that, Austin. Uh, and without further hesitation, would you like to kick off proceedings, please? Yes, okay. So I want a nice, clean fight this mm, week. No. You know, I've seen you guys before going up against each other, and I'd like it to be uh, none of this Gav nonsense. What the hell are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> um, who'd like to go first? Okay, Alex, away you go. Right. Jurassic, per- Jurassic World 2, why to go and see it? Well... Firstly, it hits all the points you want when you go and see a Jurassic World film. It's got those behind you moments that are really well done. It's got like a a goat is fed to a dinosaur at some point. It's got the gruesome comeuppances for the bad guys. It's got all those things you want from a Jurassic World film. You know, when you go and you just think, no, I want to see that again. It's got all of those moments. I'd particularly say it's got some really well done suspense moments when they sort of, you know, when a dinosaur's coming and it's coming down the corridor slowly. They do that really, really well. And I think it's quite interestingly done. But however, the problem with coming into Jurassic World 2 is that actually you can't have another theme park for dinosaurs where the dinosaurs are trapped and then they're released out. They just couldn't do that again. There's no, I mean, you would be stretched the audience beyond belief. It just wouldn't be possible. So what this needed to do um, to stop it being done to death, basically, and end in the franchise uh, is to like subvert the formula. And I think it did this absolutely perfectly. I think what it really what it does here is it really cleverly reverses the jeopardy. So it used to be humans in danger from dinosaurs running away, terrified, right? But now they've got the dinosaurs are in danger and it's the humans that are rescuing them. And the franchise needed this massively. Um, how are you going to do this though? And what they did is they created the danger for the dinosaurs, both from a volcano that they need to escape from and then from... Um, corporations basically i won't give too much away but corporations that are sort of exploiting the dinosaurs if you if uh, you need to give things away to get your point across feel free i will no, no, don't okay worry yeah, about we'll do spoilers with me. go for it if you need to 
Um, so this is a very clever thing they've done here, and it's what exactly what the franchise needed. They needed to make sure that you know it wasn't just the dinosaurs chasing people because people have seen that they needed something new, they needed something fresh. So this idea that actually man is the one that's created them, man is the one that's caused all this, this destruction, and now it's allowing them to die on this uh, island. You know, it's an interesting take to then move to, well, actually now we've got these people who are looking after the animals, looking after them, and want to conserve them, basically. And this is what I feel is at the heart of Jurassic World 2, is this really, really strong conservation message that it's got running all the way through it. Um, so for me, I think this is a very brave film that uh, like aspires to tackle some of the big issues in uh, in our world at the moment. It's got um, tackling climate change, basically, because the island is exploding due to human uh, causing climate uh, causing climate change. It's also talking about the negative impact of glo- uh, of corporate globalization that's going on in the world as well. I think at some point as well, when it's talking about weaponizing dinosaurs, I got the sense that it was like putting two fingers up to the military-industrial complex. And I think what it's doing here is it's to live in this rip-roaring dino adventure with all our favorite Jurassic treats in it, but giving us this incredible message that's so subversive in a really Hollywood way. And yeah, that's that's kind of that's that was my reading of um, Jurassic World uh, two. As I was, uh, you know, that's how I felt. Oh, well, thanks very much for that. Uh, thank you very much for that, Alex. And uh, so, Joel, do you have a direct on Max? What do you think about that? It's a nice twist on the um, the original trope. Now it's the dinosaurs in Jeopardy. Um, well, I'm just going to reel off my kind of argument here. And You're going to reel just, off your argument it, or someone it, else's? It, it, well, it, it just speaks for itself, really, and it, it does kind of counter some of Alex's points as I go okay. along anyway. But um, So the film starts off with this sub kind of going into the Mosasaur tank and uh, one of the guys kind of makes this comment about how it must be dead by now. And like literally within the first 30 seconds of the film, I found myself thinking, so you're telling me you didn't check first, like the dominant marine predator of like the, you know, you know, the time when dinosaurs were around and they didn't have the technology. They didn't have the, the, the thought to check if the freaking you know, creature is dead first. And obviously it wasn't. Um, and that just kind of set the set the tone for the whole film for me. It was just really lazy writing from from the get go. And Alex kind of uh, mentioned one of my points actually, which I was going to kind of expand on. And it's when he said how it gives you everything that you want in a Jurassic Park film, like you know, uh, a goat being fed to a dinosaur, uh, like kind of all the familiar scares and that type of thing. And the story is a really familiar one. It's kind of recycled. Uh, but it's also kind of shined up a little bit to give it, you know, maybe a little bit of a new coat. But there aren't any surprises here. It, the film, I felt when it was watching it, uh, when I was watching it, sorry, it kind of took all the criticisms people had of the original Jurassic World film to heart. And it kind of made almost too much of a point to 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 try and correct them in a way. There was a bit where... Uh, the soundtrack wasn't played at all, and that was something that was leveled at the original. They, it was trying to be like too nostalgic, and uh, they tried to kind of stay away from that. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, she is wearing a pair of hiking boots in this one, and it actually zooms in <laughs> on the boots. And like I kind of expected her, you know, to just have like a thumbs up or something like that when it zooms out. But it just makes it makes a point, you know, to say, you know, look, guys. You know, we're not just giving a stereotypical female character here in this one. Um, and in the film overall, I think sometimes in the in these kind of, uh, 
you know, uh, prosecution roles, we maybe think overthink things too much. Like, you know, if, if you were shooting on a plane, the plane would go down and all that type of stuff. But I think with a lot of these films, you do have to leave your kind of sense of reality at the door. But there are kind of too many convenient moments in this film. And you'll just be rolling your eyes just that kind of one too many times. And it just kind of takes you out the film. I'm not going to mention all of them, but I am going to mention a few of them here. So some of them which really annoyed me. So Chris Pratt waking up just seconds before the lava reaches him, like it was millimeters away from his face. He just manages to shake off the sedative, like just quickly enough to move out the way. Obviously, seconds later, he'd have been dead. Uh, The volcano exploding in the first place for me was just really convenient. They've got all this technology and they can't kind of, you know, predict when the volcano is going to erupt. And the fact that they got there just as it erupted, again, very, very convenient. A day earlier or a day later, and you would have had very different results. And obviously, uh, the film, you wouldn't have had a film. Uh, the ship pulling off the island just as the kind of island is, you know, kind of engulfed in this ash and gas and volcanic smegma or whatever it is. Um <laughs> That's, that's not what they call it. <laughs> uh, the, the, the gases and all that type of stuff don't just stop because the land does. I think like the humans would have probably choked on volcanic gas and ash and if not, you know, been killed by extreme heat that follows a volcanic eruption, which was described on the news as an extinction level event. So it's obviously going to be a very big, uh, violent eruption. And then earlier in the film, as I say, that the island is on the news and they're kind of monitoring the volcano. There's there's camera crews and things there 24-7. And yet, when the mercenaries and when Chris Pratt and his crew kind of get there, there's no cameras to be seen. It just seems unlikely that they were monitoring this island 24-7 and then when they get there, it's just gone. Um, the price of the dinosaurs seems staggeringly low. And when you kind of put it into context, you can get yourself... Four or five Indoraptors for the price of Neymar. It, it was so- <laughs> for, uh, for those who are uninitiated, Neymar is a famous uh, soccer player, a footballer, <laughs> plays the football. So, thanks, uh, Bridging the gap there. The laser pointer targeter, I thought, was again just extremely lazy. If you have to get that close to target people, you could just shoot them yourself. And then there was this bit uh, where the kind of brain-dead military-type guy gets in the cage and the Indoraptor just kind of smirks at the camera and that, for me, was just too much of a step. It was just a step too far. It's you know It was like Looney Tunes or something like that. And like I said, it could go on, but for me, the biggest convenience of all was at the end and it was the how the kind of creature, the Indoraptor, is killed. So it, it lands directly on top of the two tusks of a triceratops, which is in the middle of a huge room. And it's just, like I say, there's just too many convenient moments. It lands there just completely by chance. If it hadn't landed, you know, like a few inches either side, it would have been absolutely fine. Uh, It probably wouldn't have been hurt from the fall and the creature would have probably ended up actually killing them. And it was just a really lazy ending and there should have been more inventive ways of escaping the dinosaur. Yeah, okay, well, some pretty strong rebuttals there, um, just coming straight back at you and a few things, and I, look, I can uh, see I you chomping finished, at the bit. 
Well, I'm going to have to cut you short on your first point, I think. I'm really sorry, mate. You've got a lot down here. All right. Far, far more than, uh, <laughs> than, than the defence hey, at the moment. Hey. So I'm going, to let you, uh, I'm going to let you come back on just a couple, and then maybe you can get some of them in your second point, if that's all right. Sure. I'll just say a very quick thing. You know, Joel's talking about the convenient moments, and there are convenient moments in this film, I, w- I won't deny. There are plot holes, and, you know, it's a, it's a Jurassic Park movie. There's always plot holes in it. In, in this one, though, I think the convenient moments do have... A, that there is a reason for them. So, for example, you know, Joel's saying about the ash stopping at the land. You know, that just creates one of the most beautiful moments I felt in the film. You know, it's... It, yeah, the ash stops there, but that's because they're seeing... As the ash is coming down the mountain towards, they see this dinosaur, this... I think it's a brontosaurus, a brachiosaurus with the long neck, the one with the long neck. Brachiosaurus. And it's just... As, the, as they're pulling away, they see this... Dinosaur just coming down the jetty as the ash just comes all around it and it starts crying out to them and they can't save it. They can't save the I'm dinosaur. You, right, no, I'm fine. I'm just, okay. yeah, no, it's a tw- it was just, you know, this is what I'm saying. Sometimes in art, they need to do these, they need to create, you know, maybe, maybe not really realistic moments, but they need to create these moments of high drama when the message of the film, which is clearly man's effect on the environment comes to, the point and that i think that was the moment and I, I give the film fair play i think it can do that it can twist around with different things if it can really pull the drama and it did okay that was a right very very passionate comeback um okay i'm gonna quickly jump to a uh, character witness which one of the character witness is the witness i think is gonna be the best for this um, yeah, I'll go first. Anything you want me to well, shed some light on in particular, mate? Oh. So the big thing is, both people agree that there are a lot of conveniences within yeah, the film. I agree. Do they destroy your disbelief? Do they, do they take you out of the story completely? I didn't or, really have belief to start with, to be honest. It's just one of those films, it's one of those plots where, yeah, there are, Joel's right, there are a lot of convenient moments, but it doesn't really matter, because this is just a, a blockbuster popcorn kind of action film and it, you can kind of just work with it it's it's a long film anyway so those convenient moments when they do come along it's kind of like oh that's good good yeah sorted that one in in a time oh, okay fair enough yeah so it's not too bad um i agree with what alex was saying about the, the, the suspense being built up not since the first one i don't think we've seen suspense actually being built like this they actually did quite a good job there's a great moment with the tunnel sequence that alex was talking about with the dinosaur coming down the tunnel towards them it is actually really well shot i was actually surprised that they actually used quite a good a good shot for that one i was very impressed um but i understand what joel is saying about yeah yeah the convenience i did have a good chuckle at a line right at the start of the film where there's a news broadcast about the volcano erupting it's like uh the dormant volcano on Ila nubla has been reclassified as active and gav what would you let's throw some two cents in there as well please okay so you know my feelings about the first jurassic world film just to recap uh, it was shite uh, but it looked like fucking Citizen Kane in comparison to this man. It was absolutely abysmal. Just to add a few things that Joel said, it's full of plot holes. Yeah, I completely agree with that. The dialogue is is horrible. It's like built out of mashed potato. It just keeps on falling down. It's disgusting. The script is just paper thin. 
I essentially knew what was going to happen from watching the trailer beforehand, and I, there were no surprises in there for me. We know that the corporation that asks them to rescue the dinos is going to turn out to be bad. We know that they're going to try and kill them. Then we know that they have to try and re-rescue the dinos from the bad guys. Nothing surprising happens. The direction, wayward, it's haphazard. It's just ridiculous. There's nothing at the beginning, and then there's this unbelievable frenzied 20 minutes on the island. Then there's a big bland nothing, and then there's another frenzied bit at the end. Setting is essentially two places, the island, and then the majority of the film is in a fucking mansion for some reason. Uh, then, you know, there's the lazy plot drivers as well, like Ted Levine having to go into the cage to free the big uh, rampant, you know, dino hybrid. Indoraptor. Indoraptor, whatever. You Just some other <laughs> bullshit made-up dinosaur that they just had to put in there because, you know, they've exploited and overused all so, the other dinosaurs so, so all in all you're, you're fully in Joel's camp with this one you think that it was lazy and, and the, everything was just just lazy and just put together as a cash grab essentially is what you're going with as a witness yeah. I, I couldn't sum it up better myself yeah. oh, well um, I, I think there's still some good points uh, lingering on the defence's side here which I'll, I'll ask you about in a minute so I'm going to let Joel uh, fire away now you had a few points left hanging over from your uh, your first one, if you want to try and fit them in on this. Um, yep. So w- one thing I did want to kind of touch on uh, was the trailer and it, it just showed far too much. I think we've covered it kind of, uh, you know, in modern times, trailers are showing too much, but there were so many moments in the trailer that spoiled the film. Like we know, uh, like when the, it, when the Indoraptor kind of goes into the girl's room, when you see like the, the, claws kind of open the door that blue is going to come in and, and save her because that happens in the trailer where we know that when they're kind of cornered by uh, the carnotaurus when they're escaping from the volcano and they're behind the uh, gyrosphere or whatever it's called that the t-rex comes in and saves them then uh, we knew that when taking the blood from the t-rex it, it wakes up there were just too many kind of moments and the, the trailer kind of spoiled it but moving on to to the casting characters um the good guys and bad guys, they're essentially just ciphers in this film. Like Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, they're likable enough. And I do like them as actor and actress, but they've just got too little to work with in the hack together screenplay. Um, there's a really kind of forced kiss scene, which just wasn't needed. There's little to no sexual tension anywhere else in the movie. And it's just kind of bolted on just as almost, you know, like the director's been given a tick box saying you've got to have a kiss scene and he's just put it in uh, just to kind of satisfy that need. Uh, Chris Pratt also comes in within inches, sorry, of gruesome deaths, like literally on multiple occasions. And he never looks like he's remotely even affected or challenged by it in his facial expressions. Uh, the One of the new characters, Daniela Pineda, Pinada, uh, she plays a pretty strong character, but she goes from never seeing a dinosaur before to somehow being an expert in its uh, like anatomy. She understands what blood type is compatible with it, just in a really short space of time, and it was just like completely ridiculous. Then Justice Smith, he plays this kind of stereotype and... It's a reverse stereotype for me because normally the the woman plays this role. It's like a she, he's a whiny kind of bratty character who screams at any type of danger, and he's like a really nerdy character. But for me, not all nerdy characters should be like these kind of wimpy, 
uh, just kind of hands-off people. They can do other things as well other than run around with an electronic device in their hands. What do you do for a living again, Joel? <laughs> <laughs> I run around with electronic devices. <laughs> and, and perpetually wise. <laughs> uh, but, the, but the biggest thing for me in the, in the characters were the minor characters, the baddies. They were just these kind of, this gang of cruel, greedy, gun-loving, white male cap- capitalists, sorry. And they're so kind of ineptly written and cartoonishly acted that they could honestly pass off in a spoof film. Some of the action, ac- accents sorry, that you hear uh, in some of the auction sequences, like the um, kind of lazy Russian accents and things like that, makes me think that these people just can't have had auditions because I could shit out a better accent than that. And then, like, the good actors in the film, and there are good actors in there, James Cromwell, uh, Rafi Spall, Ted Levine, Toby Jones, B.D. Wong, there's, there's just such a good cast list, but they're all wasted. They've either got too little time or they've got too little lines, and the biggest insult of all for me uh, was Jeff Goldblum. Like, he was kind of teased that he's coming back in this one, and he's literally in the film for probably less than two minutes, and like I say, it was just more of an insult to have him in the film. He just... If they were going to have him, give him a part, or just don't have him in it. Okay, well, more more damning evidence from the prosecution here for you to fight back on, Alex. Um, super quick character arcs, just not enough time given to people. Um, stereotypical baddies, stereotypical goodies, um, unbelievable relationships, poor script, predictable direction. Um, some of that was actually coming from the character witness. <laughs> um Fire away. I mean, I actually sure. quite enjoyed your, your first, first set of defence. So, um. Well, I'm going to carry on with it. Um, this had a great cast. And, you know, we're not expecting, in a Jurassic World 2, when you see James Cromwell, you're not expecting him to be really using all of his acting talents. You're not expecting him to be doing a monologue or doing some amazing scene, really. You're just glad to see him in the film. You know, it's a good action film. That's what they do, you know. So I wasn't really expecting... Jeff Goldblum, it, I agree, it would have been nice to see him. It's always nice to see as much of Jeff Goldblum as possible. But I wasn't expecting him to take a massive role in this film. The main role is the dinosaurs. They're the best characters in it. And in this, they're really fantastic. They're quite scary. They're, but they're also, it's that, like I was saying, that interesting thing of they're scary, but we're also looking after them. We also have a responsibility to them, which really blends into this, the, the argument of having about this new, you know, the genetic power of mankind. I think the, the, the new characters do their jobs perfectly well. You know, they sort of put, put the plot along. That's what they're there to do. And that's, that's exactly what they do. I didn't really spend much time thinking about them, to be honest. Uh, again, looking at the dinosaur, not really looking at them. Um, you know, the, I, I like what Joel said when he said they're terrible capitalists. I thought that was the point of them. That's the exact, that's the theme of the film that's running through it. And, you know, I like this idea. What I really, I think Joel didn't mention it, is the, the young child actress uh, who plays the, this is a bis, this is a massive spoiler, but, um, you know, there's, a, there's an element of genetic, you know, she's basically, I'm going to spoil it, she's a clone. So she's being cloned as well as the dinosaurs, which I thought was a very interesting way for the, the whole Jurassic Park to go. I didn't see it coming and I thought that was an interesting way to, for, for, the, for, for the franchise to go. Joel was right, you know, he's talking about the horrible deaths, but that's exactly what we're expecting. When we see Ted Levine, you know, I'm not expecting him to be particularly, you know, doing great lines or anything like that, or great, you know, interaction between characters. You're sort of thinking, well, at some point this guy's going to have a gruesome death, you mm-hmm. know? And he does have a gruesome death. It's really horrible. I mean, it's very visceral and it's quite sadistic almost, I would say, his horrible death. <coughs> Sorry. But oddly for me, it wasn't the... 
you know, I was, there were quite a few children in the cinema. For me, it wasn't the gruesome deaths that I was so surprised about. It was, to be honest, what I found between Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt was just their sort of raw sexual chemistry, I felt, that was between those two main characters. I thought, yeah. I thought they were just absolutely um, fantastic in this film. The relationship between them is just amazing. They really go for it. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think the great cast not expecting it, but Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard... You know their 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 plot story keeps it all going, and yeah, no, I thought I thought they were absolutely fantastic. Just just one quick one, Ozzy. Just yep. that uh, Alex kind of jogged my memory here, and I have got it written down. I thought for what is essentially a film which is for children as well, there was some kind of shock and cruelty on display, like in the film, and way too much in my opinion for a film that's shown by children, going to be seen by children. Sorry, there were kind of images of dinosaurs drowning like being engulfed by flames, as uh, as Alex said. They were shot at with guns, tortured with cattle prods, and they were kind of really gruesome scenes as well. Like uh, one of the guys gets his arm bitten off. One of them uh, gets his torso, like torn into, uh, like one dinosaur eats his leg, the other one eats his body. And like, like I say, it, for, even for an adult, like whatever you think of the rest of the film, like the scene where the dinosaurs were dying, I actually felt like a little bit sad. And for a child, I just think that it it was too much. Sorry, I'm just taking some notes there. <laughs> just letting that sink in. So, um, okay. Well, that's, um, that's a lot to think about here. So let's start with the uh, the first one, which is a massive, to- totally against each other. Uh, Dave, mm-hmm. Chris Pratt and uh, Bryce. Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah. Um, they do okay. They do okay. Not stellar performances. I wouldn't say there's much between them, to be honest with you. They just seem like mates more than there is a, a romantic interest going on there. They do okay. I mean, they're good actors. They really are. But like Alex is right when he says the stars of the show are the dinosaurs and they look great. You know, clearly yeah. a lot of money, a lot of money and effort's gone into that CGI. They do look good. I'll give them that. Um, to come down on Alex's side, someone mentioned nostalgia before. And I do want to say, yeah, there's a lot of nostalgic elements running through this film. Now, maybe you might not like that. You may want the film to carve its own path, you know, blaze its own trail. But the nostalgia in there is, is quite obvious in certain points. And it's quite nice if if you're familiar with the original film, it's quite nice to see, like, when the Indoraptor goes into the little girl's bedroom towards the end of the film, it taps its claw on the on the floor a couple of times in the same rhythm as the Velociraptors do when they enter the kitchen in the first one. It's little nods like that, which I quite liked. Uh, I just want to throw that towards Alex's way, because that's right, because I get the feeling Gav won't. Um, <laughs> but I have to say, I can't fault anything Joel said. <laughs> He's, he's he's quite right. I have to say on a lot of those points. But uh, so here's something which uh, which like Joel made though, which would make me think this is actually a good point. Where we're talking about the shocking cruelty, gruesome scenes, is that too much for a child, or is that really going to hit home and let them think about? what is happening I, I wouldn't say it's a problem really because if you think back to the original Jurassic Park Gavis, uh, Alex is right about the the brutal deaths I mean you get you're set up with a character you don't particularly like and you're just like I can't wait to see that lawyer get eaten while he's on the toilet again to be honest with you yeah. it's like you, you're giving these characters these pantomime villainous these yeah. unlikable characters and you expect them to die gruesomely that's Jurassic Park and if parents aren't expecting that taking their kid they should have watched the first film okay and uh, Gav um I can guess what you're going to say, but let's hear it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I thought all the characters were really, really terribly written, to be honest. I think 
Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Platt did a terrible job in this. And see, this is odd for me because I think that both of those are fantastic actors. They have given so many great performances, but in this they were unemotive throughout. Joel mentioned about the amount of near-death experiences that Chris Pratt's character has. It's almost like on a scene basis and it's, he just kind of drifts his way through it. He, I don't know if he's trying to be like super cool. I think, to be honest, it's the direction. I think also Bryce Dallas Howard has been directed in a different way. Maybe say, oh, you know, there was a bit of a backlash to how the character was perceived in the last film. Play it more sort of stern and more take it on your shoulders and in your stride. And it just comes across as unemotive. As Joel said before, the bad guys, oh, I mean, Rafe Spall and Toby Jones, these sort of vanilla baddies, Ted Levine, he kind of almost like he went to the Stephen Lang school of army bastards. Leave Stephen Lang out. <laughs> Leave. Come on. Come on. No, as in, you know, like he was just playing a caricature, really. The one thing that I will cover here, one of my main gripes about the first Jurassic World film was that... I know I've got to keep on hammering it Come home, on. but that there were, there were no decent female characters in it. All of the female characters felt like horrible stereotypes and it was just rife with sexism throughout. So she and wasn't, uh, so Bryce Dallas Howard wasn't improved upon Well, well one. see, this is the thing. I think they've kind of taken that and they've done like a knowing wink as in like, oh, we've taken everything on board that you said and hey, we're going to, as Joel said before, start with the zooming of their boots because that was the real issue, you know what I mean? Hey, it's okay now she can do all the things that she did before because she's wearing boots now and this time round they said okay what we'll do is we'll put a really decent female character in there the one played by Daniela what is it Pineda is it Pineda and I think she had a really great character and as soon as they presented to us they just take her away the majority of the film she's just spent shackled imprisoned and just off screen essentially and it's only her and Bryce Dallas Howard there's there's two well essentially there's three characters or two and a half because there's a little girl who does a great job to be honest but all their characters there's nothing to them and and no I do not think that there's been an improvement on Bryce Dallas do you think that Blue is a a strong female character they don't fucking count the dinosaurs (laughs) they do not this is what I'm saying. Uh, as we found out in the first Jurassic Park film, all the dinosaurs are female. And I would say they're the best characters in Jurassic Park. So I'm going to say the best characters in Jurassic World are female. female. They've got no dialogue. They're, they're I mean, driven. They're, dinosaurs. they're driven got... just by either food or anger. You know, it's just like you, mate, to be fair. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty good dialogue. Yeah, me. Um, anyway, I'm going to write. I'm going to write strong female You're characters. You're winding me up, but it's, I'm not. I'm not going to take the bait. Just pop I'm, it down. Pop it I'm down. I'm going to put it in capitals. Is that right? Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, anyway, let's have some closing statements. Who'd like to fire off first? You have got 60 seconds. Joel, starting. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. In five, four, Shit. three, <laughs> two, one, go. Just loading. Um, okay, so it, it's sad to say, but for me, it's time for the series to end. I, I think back to all the positive memories of the original Jurassic Park, the T-Rex chase scene in the Jeep, the raptors hunting the kids, and it was just a really tense, exciting film. And as I say, as a child, that really, really stuck with me. It, it, it terrified me, to be honest, and there's just none of that excitement anymore. All the kind of heart racing moments, they're all gone. There's too many moments in the films these days that pull you out the film and they spoil the spectacle. And for me, when you sat there in the cinema and you think, you know, what the hell is, 
why has that happened or what the hell is going on. Like I say, it spoils the film. And it's a classic example for me of filmmakers thinking, how can they make a sequel out of it? And how can they continue the franchise rather than if they actually should? And that is it in a nutshell. Oof. There you go. And now, Alex, you have also got 60 seconds starting now. Right. This has got everything you want from a Jurassic World film. You know, it's got the behind you moments. It's got the classic nods, like Dave was saying, back to the original. It's got a goat being fed to a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's got the Tyrannosaurus Rex from all the films in it. And it's got some really gruesome comeuppances. But it also does something that it really needed. It sort of changes it from being dinos trapped into a park and moves the franchise on where we can actually watch more films. And it does this in a really interesting way. It talks. It has a really strong conservation message. We've got to be looking after these dinosaurs. The jeopardy is reversed, like I said before, and that's a, such an interesting way to spin it. It's got all the elements it needs for the franchise to go on and on and on. And I just think this is not just a great dino adventure. It's also a really brave film that's tackling some of the big issues in our world. Oof. Okay, so we've got two very, very different takes on the film here and two very different arguments for me to uh, to try and try and think about. So would you mind filling a bit of time while I uh, give yeah. like, my notes? So, Thanks. Ozzy, while you're thinking about which list this film should be placed on, why don't we have a quick message from our good friends on the IMDb Journey podcast? Hey, you! Yeah, you! What are you doing after you finish this great podcast you're listening to? Well, whatever it is, you're going to blow that off and listen to the IMDb Journey podcast instead, hosted by Daniel, that's me, and Dean, that's me. Join us on our journey as we tackle the IMDb Top 250 list, breaking down one movie a week, giving our own rankings as we go, as well as our incredibly intelligent and insightful thoughts too. (laughs) We also throw in a random quiz or movie battle every once in a while and have a punt on it. Because us Aussies, we love a good punt. (gasps) Daniel, this is a G-rated promo. You can't say that. I said punt, Dean. Punt. You dickhead. So come join us on the journey by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcast apps, and follow us on Twitter at IMDB Journey. And now back to your regular scheduled programming. Now, Ozzy, do you still need a bit more time to think about the verdict? Um, yeah, actually, yeah. I could do it a little bit longer, please. <laughs> so why don't we have a little bit of a quiz? I'd love one. Okay, so Alex and I were frantically trying to think of a quiz before, and it just absolutely came to me. I don't know why. I don't know why I thought about this, but I thought I'd just type it in onto Google and just see whether or not Jurassic World had been made into a porn parody. <laughs> And, surprisingly, it has. Mate, come on. <laughs> I do not believe that for a second. <laughs> G-Tai Movie made a porn parody of Jurassic World in 2015, and there is a trailer online that we can watch later on. So all I wanted... Well, I was originally... <laughs> quite, all right, mate. I, uh, I, all right. I'm good, too. <laughs> this is a quiz I call Jurassic Pork. <laughs> oh, actually, I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but for all uh, those who aren't based in the UK, pork is another word of saying, oh. make love. They know uh, what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, guys, I'm going to list 10 famous family-friendly films, and you guys have got to guess what the porn parody title is. Okay, so without further hesitation, number one, Forrest Gump. Alex? Forrest Hump. Forrest Hump, yeah, good uh, yeah. one, John. For- Forrest Pump. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you could either have Forrest Hump, but the official one 
is actually foreskin gump. Oh my <laughs> what, do you mean, what do you mean the official one? <laughs> the official one. The, the one endorsed by the, one. <laughs> <laughs> part of the Academy. <laughs> okay, number two. Oof. Number two, Edward Scissorhands. Edward Cockhands. Edward Jizzin Hands. Yeah, Edward Penis oh. Hands. Let's go with that. Yeah, well done, Captain Dave. Yeah, Edward, <laughs> it really? Edward Penis Hands. Oh, my word. <laughs> okay. Number three, West Side Story. Uh, Rest Side Story. <laughs> yes. Well done, Joel. Rest you're, Side you're, Story. You're really good at this. Aren't you? <laughs> you're a little too good yeah. at this, Joel. Joel produced most of these films, by the way. Number five, Dawn of the Dead. Hump the Dead. Come on, guys. Horn of the Dead. It's quite a good one, but no, no. You give up? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's Dawn of the Head. Uh, (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Sorry, I I, I got too far ahead of myself before. Ahead of myself. Uh, So number five, the real one, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction? Yeah. Yeah, I'd have gone that. No? Gulp Fiction? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's actually Pulp Friction. Uh, uh, I don't know, we need to get our minds off the pavement and into the gutter. Don't we? <laughs> the next one is Young Frankenstein. Oh, not, not touching it. Yeah, this one could get pretty dark. No, no. It's uh, Hung Frankenstein, uh, obviously. Okay. Thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, right. Number number seven, the Da Vinci Code: Angels and Demons. Oh, Angels and Angels and Demons. It's uh, the Da Vinci Load: Angels and Seamen. <laughs> Uh, uh, Titanic Oh god No idea uh, uh, Go in no, I don't know Titanic uh, This one's going no, down no, no. Going down on no, Titanic no. I don't know yeah, Titanic. Well, well done oh. Dave But no no It's Bytanic Bytanic Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> What? Uh, my favourite one in the list Mission Impossible 2 Missionary Missionary Impossible <laughs> Yeah Missionary Position Impossible <laughs> Just in case you weren't sure what the <laughs> position was. Just in case. Okay, thank you very much for that one, guys. Okay, yeah, well, that was good. Thank you for that, Gav. It was uh, sublime as ever. Fortunately, because I was so engrossed in the quiz, it means I've uh, I've had a little bit of trouble really trying to uh, trying to come to grips with what everybody was, uh, what all the arguments were. I mean, essentially, Joel was saying that the film was predictable, too many conveniences. Uh, Chris Pratt was just constantly on the edge of dying, but but never seemed to break a sweat. Um, and, and it was just, he just really couldn't get behind it. And he, he, it was just, there was nothing to it. There was no script. There was no dialogue and it was all just, everything was spoiled for him in the trailer. Um, for me, I wasn't going to take the trailer into account because I feel like every film now is, uh, is ruined by a trailer. So I do my best to avoid them. Uh, Brucey counteracted most of, uh, most of Joel's arguments there. He's saying that, you know, that you've come for dinosaurs, you've come for action. You didn't come for a script as such. You just come for, to be, you know, to watch explosions, to watch watch Jeopardy, and and you've really got that, and you've got a really good twist, something that should hopefully keep the uh, keep the franchise going for a bit longer. Um, he's saying that there's a really deep message, you know, that one that we need to think about for conservation, and something where people should start being responsible for their actions. And and you know, while I really think that's a, I think it's a great message, and I'd love people to get behind that and stuff. Um, I think it's something that we should be uh, we should be teaching uh, our kids, and we should be. You know, really making sure that everybody's getting that message. I'm not entirely sure it would have uh, actually gone gone down well with the bulk of the audience. I'm not entirely sure that's what what the uh, the directors were going for. And I think that's just maybe um, Brucey's just got quite a um, quite a 
you know, very nice mindset and he's really read into this so much. And, and that's what Joe was saying that there's, there was nothing to be read into there. There's not, it's not as deep as you you were giving it credit for. And it, um, yeah, well, unfortunately for me, I think maybe Joe's right on that aspect and um, it's with great regret. I'm going to put it on the shit list. And I really did want it to go on the hit list. That's one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. Thanks. I've got a really nice mindset. <laughs> Thanks, man. Okay. Such a nice way to disappoint me. <laughs> so thank you very much for that, Austin. Uh, just a quick go around the room. General, uh, general opinions, or genuine opinions. Joel, I mean, did you hate it as much as you were saying? Because you really loved the first one, didn't you? Um, to be honest, like I, I cut that argument short. I had about three pages worth, but... I, I did kind of quite like it. I didn't absolutely love it, but I thought there were some really, really tense moments in there. And I think that's been missing since the original Jurassic Park, like any type of tension in the film whatsoever. And I think there were some decent moments, but there were, I do agree with a lot of the stuff I said, there were kind of so many moments where I was watching the film and it just took me out of it and I started overthinking it, uh, which is always a bad thing for those type of films. But overall, I do think if it's a case of, watching it or not watching it people should definitely go and watch it and i do think it's on the better side of average i don't think it's a terrible film so that's my overall opinion okay thank you very much for that joel alex this is the one we really want to hear to be honest did you enjoy it as much as you said you did or did it have that deep message i hated every single second like every (laughs) single second of this film like it made me feel anxious i just hated every single part of it i i actually when i was doing my argument for why it was good i think there are the the building blocks were there like i think there was someone who came up with a premise to the film that had a really good idea the conservation and the corporate i think there's actually some strong things that could have been done and i like the way it was moving the franchise forward and i did like the idea of twisting it around so the dinosaurs are the one in danger this film did not like it just did not land any of that so i felt like normally i try and keep my own opinion and try and be honest but i just couldn't this time and mainly my main thing is i just didn't believe a single second of it you know i know i know it's dinosaurs you're not meant to be but i couldn't suspend in the first one you know i mean you get into it you know you forget that you're in dinosaurs you you believe the characters are in danger i just didn't believe they're on an island even do you know i mean it was all cgi i don't know i just didn't believe a single second so no i i couldn't stand it Mm, okay well thank you very much for that alex (laughs) And just before we cap things off... Sorry, Ozzy. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> just that me duped there. You? <laughs> <A little> wanker. <laughs> Good luck watching it, by the way, Ozzy. Uh, so, guys, higher or lower than our previous one-off special, Solo? Lower. Ooh, what was Solo? Higher. This is the game. <laughs> Every week. Every fucking week you never tell me the bastard because, score. Because the game is higher or lower, you've got to guess, and then I'll yeah, tell you the score. You have to know what, you have to know what the score Right, okay, Solo got um, 7.2. Okay. Lower. Yeah, lower. Lower. Lower? Yeah. Probably lower. Yeah, you're all right. Yeah, lower. 6.8. <laughs> well, that was a fun game. Thank you very much. But nothing. <laughs> Thanks for making it a game, girl. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> anyway, also just to say that we have a caption contest. And this week I've t- taken a still of the film. And it is Chris Pratt looking very surprised as there's a shadow of a... I was going to say a vampire then. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he won't be surprised. I'll tell you that. <laughs> shadow of a dinosaur just across his face it's it's just the scene where the dinosaurs crept like the secret lemonade drinker snuck into that child's bedroom and i've asked our friends and followers to provide a caption 
And the winner gets uh, Freddo. Well, this week we've only had one caption, so I suppose they win by default. But I'll read it out anyway. So, when your wife goes into the toilet and there wasn't enough time to reflush the floater you left in the bowl. Oh, my <laughs> days. So, Done. congratulations, True Gore Art. You've just won yourself a Freddo. Okay, so just before we close things off, just want to say thank you very, very much to everybody who has listened to our podcast so far. You can catch all of our past episodes and our future ones on our website, filmsontrial.co.uk. You can also catch us on iTunes as well. Why not give us a follow on Twitter, at Film Trials. You can suggest a film for us to put in the hat and we will eventually put it on trial. Whilst you're on Twitter, why not check out our friends and collaborators at Aussie Way and at Winston... And at the underscore quirks. That's Austin Ray and Winston Sang, our music producer and graphic artist, respectively. And why not check us out on other social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube and Instagram, Films on Trial. Just to say that we will continue our scheduled schedule (laughs) next week with the release of Shadow of a Vampire and our next one-off special is going to be in July when we are going to put The Incredibles 2 on trial. So until then, we will be in your ears every week, I suppose. Goodbye, everyone. (laughs) 